following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Christ is now homeward we go. Be strong in the Lord. Be not as children tossed to and fro. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. Put hands on all and fight the good fight. Be steadfast and faithful. Stand for the right. Be strong. Be strong, be strong in the Lord. Be vigilant always, each day and each hour. Be strong, strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. Put His honor on and fight the good fight. Be steadfast and faithful. Stand for the right. Be strong in the Lord. Put up the old his power remade. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the new man the Spirit has made. Be strong in the Lord. You who were darkness walk now in his light. Be strong in the Lord. Redeeming the time in his love now delight. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Praise God, we have our video up today. If you'd like to go to YouTube, we're streaming there live once more. We had some technical difficulties, but we're past those. So go now to YouTube and you can watch live the production of this broadcast. We are in such trouble. I don't know how to even talk about it. I've been in the prayer closet all morning from the early hours, crying out to Jesus about this. We're in, we are in such trouble. And the sad part is, in America, we don't even recognize the trouble we're in with Jesus. Oh, we're in trouble with debt, and we're in trouble with politics, and we're in trouble in so many different places. And wars and rumors of wars and all of these Jesus foretold, but where the real trouble lies is with Jesus. It's trouble with Jesus. He tells a parable in Luke, the 13th chapter. Let me read it for you. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he And he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, 
For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. If not, cut it down. That's a hard saying. He's talking about people. He's talking about you and me. And are we producing what Jesus wants us to produce? So that some way we'll be able to enter the kingdom of God. Are we producing what Jesus wants us to produce? He also told a parable in the 14th chapter. A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've, I just bought a field. I have to go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back, and he reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who was invited will get a taste of my banquet. We, we hear these parables, but what do they mean? Well, it's very clear. We don't enter into the kingdom of God. Instead, we enter into our own thoughts and our own ideas and our own beliefs. And we have these sentimental beliefs about Jesus or ideological beliefs about Jesus. But we're not really disciples of Jesus. We include Jesus in an already full life. All the things we have to do, all the places we have to go, all the responsibilities we carry. Do you think in the day of Jesus they didn't have responsibilities they still had to sell the the olive oil they had to harvest the crops they had to deal with with weddings and in fact they had to go to luncheons with important pharisees jesus often did that there were all kinds of demands on their time, just as there are today on our time. In the midst of all of that, how do we come to Jesus? 
oh, we've got our religion, we've got our church, we've got our our beliefs about that church, we've we've got our political beliefs mixed in with our religious beliefs. A pastor is asked to pray for Donald Trump. And he comes in in sweaty clothes with his golfing shoes on, a jacket pulled over his sweaty shirt. And he's brought up on stage and the pastor prays for him. And then very quickly afterward has to issue a solemn apology, non-apology for having prayed for the president. And the social media exploded with most very angry about it. I'm totally astonished at the hardness of the hearts, of the bitterness of the heart, of the judgments of the heart. Donald Trump is a poor sinner. I don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent. Jesus doesn't look at Donald Trump as a Republican or a a Democrat or an Independent. He looks at him as a poor lost sinner. And the most astonishing thing is that the Holy Spirit would be able to prompt Donald Trump to come into a church just like he was. (laughs) It's interesting to me to note that the pastor who stood on the platform of that church and prayed for Donald Trump was dressed, I believe, in jeans and a, a shirt untucked. Utterly casual. The church has slid so far from honoring Jesus and respecting him. It's now a social place. It's a place where we get teachings on principles. It's not a place where we meet Jesus. Upset because a pastor would pray for a president who, I believe, desperately needs our prayers, not our judgments. We've allowed our political views, we've allowed our judgments to come up and take over our hearts. So I'm I'm going to do something today. I'm going to pray for President Trump. Now you may agree or disagree, and that really doesn't matter to me. I don't have a church to lose. I don't have to be politically correct. So I'm going to pray for Donald Trump as the Holy Spirit directs me today. Lord Jesus, I come today recognizing that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Lord, I bring before you the President of the United States, Mr. Donald Trump. Lord, I ask today for the Holy Spirit presence to 
to come upon Donald Trump and bring great conviction to his heart regarding his condition before you. I ask that he, as a sinner, could be saved from every power of darkness, from every temptation of evil. Lord, he is a sinner who needs to be washed and changed and transformed by your blood. Lord, I ask today that this man who is so in the public eye would get on his knees before you, confess his sins, and be washed and made clean. Lord, I ask that your will would be done in this man, Donald Trump. Lord, I don't pray for him as a king because he's not a king. He's the president of a republic. So I pray for him as a man who is equal with all other men in America. He is not someone special that should be castigated or cursed or denounced or praised and honored for you alone are deserving of praise and honor. So, Lord, I, I bring him as a, as a supplicant, as a sinner, as, as one who is coming before your throne, seeking the presence and power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I place him in your hands. I plead your mercy for him. I plead your grace for him. And I plead the transforming power of your blood for his heart and his life and his family. Lord, he belongs to you. And we claim him today for the kingdom of God, for conviction, for repentance, and for obedience to your commands to him. Lord, I thank you that he would go to a church to be prayed for. Isn't that where, Lord, you want all sinners to go? So, Lord, I pray your blessing for Donald Trump today, and the blessing being that he would repent of his sin, be converted, and transformed into a new man, Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I pray that same prayer for you. If you are one of those making excuses and living in your own illusionary world, your own delusion that you don't have to be holy, you don't have to repent for your sin, you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, while you live like a son of the devil. I pray for you also. Listen to what Jesus says. 
This is again Luke 14, verse 25. Large crowds were following with Jesus. By large crowds here, we're talking several thousands of people are traveling with Jesus and turning to this crowd. He says to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This word hate can mean indifferent to in comparison with. It doesn't mean a bitter anger. It means an indifference to, not being influenced by. He's saying that husband, wife, father, mother, children, brothers, sisters, even your own heart, your own life. He's saying to all of you, to everything that is of this world and this flesh, you must become utterly indifferent to it most especially to your own opinion and your own judgments. You must become indifferent to yourself. Or you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. He must reign and rule in your heart. And we spoke about this yesterday. John 7, the spring of water that flows from a believer in Jesus who has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. We spoke yesterday about this river flowing down the channel of your life. But if the channel of your life is filled with the love, even the positive love for your family and and everything else and your wonderful life and your new car and the beautiful house and your social engagements, if your heart is filled with all of the wonderful things you can create in America, and most especially your own pride and your own arrogance and your own judgments, if your heart is filled with all of these things, the Holy Spirit cannot flow in your life, and you're in trouble. And the church today is in deep trouble as the United Methodist Church is in the process of dividing itself over the question of homosexuality. Bishops ordaining active homosexuals against the word of God. The study that recently evidenced that millennials the largest percentage believe that divorce and premarital sex are acceptable in our and morally acceptable in our day, in our age? How did they come to that conclusion? Out of the pride of their own heart. You can't be a disciple of Jesus and believe these things. Can't be a disciple of Jesus and approve of same-sex marriage. For marriage was made by God, not by man. And he said it was a man and a woman. You can't approve of divorce. You can't approve of, of the sins of the flesh and be a disciple of Jesus. You can't do it. We're in trouble. 
Because Americans, we are, from the day one, encouraged to be in charge of our own hearts, of our own lives. No. Jesus must be in charge. And it requires a careful decision on our part in cold blood. Will we choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Will we cut off the things of darkness? Will we remove the things of the flesh from our hearts? Will we allow the power of the blood of Jesus to wash us clean so that that channel of our heart can have the snapping turtles, the the, the debris, the, the muck and the mud, all the things that we salve our heart with so we don't feel the pain, all of the wicked entertainment of our day, all of the all of the things we turn to. One man will turn to alcohol, another to drugs, another to sex, another to entertainment, another to professional entertainment, concerts and dances and clubs and sports, salving the heart, taking away the pain, becoming unconscious. Jesus says you can't be a disciple of his and walk in these ways. That's why I say we're in trouble. Because the church looks like the world today. The church has become apostate in America. With cute little pastors standing up preaching cute little sermons. Giving all kinds of ideas and and concepts and principles. And then walking unclean in their private lives just as their congregation does. Where is there a fear of the righteousness and the holiness and the majesty of God? Where is there a a terror of sinning against the Holy One of Israel? It's not there. When was the last time you heard a sermon on hell? And a warning, don't go there. When was the last time you heard a sermon on the blood of Jesus Christ, of walking without sin, of walking clean by the shed blood of Jesus, being made washed and made whole? No, you heard sermons on God loves you. God loves you, so his love is unconditional, and you're on your way to heaven? Really? I don't think so. We're in trouble. And I would not be faithful before God as a watchman in this city if I didn't lift my voice and say, look, we're off track. We've missed it. We serve a righteous God, a God who is holy, a God who will not tolerate sin. You can cover it up any way you want to, but he examines the heart of a man and a woman, and he examines what we do with our time, our money, our energy. He is holy. He is merciful. He is kind. He is long-suffering. But he is holy. 
Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a, a tower. Suppose you want to build a high rise. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and he was not able to finish. That's where we are with the church today. We have said, yes, Jesus, I will serve you, Jesus. I will be a disciple, Jesus. But we didn't count the cost. We didn't understand that the cost was we had to be crucified with Christ, not make believe. We had to die. And the joy of the Lord is for those who have gone through the cross to the other side. And they're walking in victory before Jesus humbly with love and mercy and kindness being shown. Verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off. will seek terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. I've had men come to me to talk about Jesus and the cost of following Jesus, the price that must be paid to follow Jesus. And when I began to identify some of the price, you have to leave that unclean relationship you're in. You're living with somebody you're not married to. You're engaged in fornication. That must stop if you're going to follow Jesus. It is sin. That homosexual relationship must be cut off. You must walk away from it. The lying must stop. The theft must stop. All of this is part of the price of following Jesus. If you're unwilling to cut off the lying and the cheating and the stealing, if you're unwilling to forgive and turn aside from bitterness, from racial hatred. Some of you have such racial hatred in your heart. I mean, there are those today in our nation who are trying to stir up racial strife between blacks and whites, Koreans, Hispanics. All of us have the same blood flowing in our veins. It's red. In the eyes of Jesus, there is not a black or a white a red, a brown. He sees us all in the same way as sinners or saints, people hell-bound or people who have repented of their sin and are now turning from it. I love a church that is filled with a whole mixture of nationalities and peoples, and they're drawn together by the common cord of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord, and they have given up everything of the world, the flesh and the devil. They've separated themselves from darkness. And they live now in the glory, in the presence of Jesus, with a a heart filled with love and mercy and kindness. But not a heart 
that is casual about sin or wickedness. Never agreeing with it. Never supporting it. Always calling in love that person to repent. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Everything must be turned over to Jesus. Everything must be given to him. Our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions. The gospel of Jesus Christ did not come to help a man be all that he could be. That's from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not the tree of life. The kingdom of Jesus Christ did not come so that a man could go out and prosper financially. Oh, God will choose to cause one man to financially prosper, and another man he will not bless with money. It's all in the Lord's hands for how he wants to use that man or that woman. Verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Salt. Used to salt meat to preserve it. Salt used on food to give it a little flavor. Salt has bite. Salt that doesn't preserve righteousness. Salt that doesn't have any bite against the counterculture of wickedness. Salt that has no flavor. It's worthless. You might as well just throw it out on the manure pile. He's talking here about men and women. He's talking about you and me. talking about what we believe and what we think and what we do where we go where we don't go he's saying will you surrender everything to me will you lay down your life for me if not you cannot be my disciple there's no such thing as a part-time disciple nowhere in scripture are we instructed on how to be a part-time disciple of Jesus? It's all or nothing. It's this or that, not both. We're called to be in Jesus, not in the world. We're called to rest in Jesus and take up his yoke. Matthew 11. He says, my yoke is light. It's easy. I want to tell you, the yoke of Jesus is the hardest thing a man will ever take on. But once he takes it on, it's light. It's easy. Because it means crucifixion of the old man. It means a total change in how we spend our time, our energy, our money. It means we will wait upon the Lord. We will not thrust ourselves out and create our own life. We will not turn to wickedness or darkness. 
we will wait on the Lord and we will pray and we will cry aloud to him. I'm doing that with my life for revival in Washington. I'm not going to go out and try to stir up revival, contact pastors and set up meetings, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait on the Lord, and the Lord will bring it to pass. I will wait for his instruction. I wait for his instruction on what to do on this radio broadcast day by day. I'm studying the scriptures. I'm spending hours reading it, praying, searching, waiting on the Lord. I've turned away from sin. I've turned away from darkness. I've turned off those things in the world that would tempt me. I've said no to them. And now I wait on the Lord. When we go to John, the sixth chapter, let me read this for you. He's speaking about the bread that comes down from heaven. And he's saying that he is the bread of heaven. And this causes people to be very concerned. They don't understand what he's talking about. He says, I am the living bread that came came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, what does that mean? He's not talking about cannibalism. He's talking about the inner spirit in the heart. You have a spirit There is a spirit of God and there is a spirit of man. He's talking about something that is spiritual. He's talking about... Well, let me put it this way, please. Has your hand ever just unexpectedly reached out and struck someone? Well, no. My hand has never done that. Has your hand ever reached out and taken something and thrown it on somebody? Well, no. Why? Because my hand is in obedience to my spirit. And my spirit determines how my hand will behave, where my feet will go, what my eyes will see. My spirit determines my course of action. Jesus is saying, The bread for your spirit must be Jesus. Not the world, not the flesh, not the devil. You must eat of the flesh of Jesus. Now he goes on. He's speaking now to large crowds of people. And I tell you, if this prayer... If this sermon were preached in many churches in America, it would clean the church out. They would, for the most part, they would get up and leave. He says in verse 53, this is John, the sixth chapter, verse 53. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Now, the blood is what covers, washes away 
forgives, Ephemi removes from you all of your sin. Is the body necessary? Is the bread necessary if the blood is there? Yes. The body of Jesus stricken for our healing, for our restoration. So the blood is for the washing away of our sin, and the bread is for the continual life of healing and restoration and holiness. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Well, your spirit may be very much alive. And for many of you, that's true. You have a very strong spirit. You're very independent. You have very strong opinions. You know what you think is right and what is wrong, and you're not shy about telling anyone what you think. But is that spirit in you? Feasting on arrogance and ego, success, ambition, bitterness. Is it feasting on evil? Or is your spirit humbled before God? Have you, have you been disciplined by God? Have you been forced to wait upon him and trust him even for your physical bread and water? Have you been forced to trust him for your automobile, for your finances? Have you learned to walk by faith in Jesus, faith in his power and his presence and his love for you? Have you had that deepening of your heart and life where you finally recognize these things of darkness do not satisfy my heart, they simply salve me and let me get through another day? Or do you drink that blood? And do you eat that flesh? He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever, this is a hard saying, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I'm, I'm forced to come back again, as I have all week, to press you on this issue. Are you alive or are you dead? A lot of you are just dead people walking around, filled with your own opinions and your own bitterness and your own anger, and you think you're right and you think you've got it all together. Or you're walking around and you're confused and you're troubled and you don't know how you're going to make it seems impossible 
somehow you say things always work out, so I'm just going to trust whatever will be will be. You're dead inside. Oh, you may be very much a, a religious person, but you're dead inside. You're not abiding in Jesus. He's not abiding in you. There's not that intimacy with God. There's not that resting in Jesus in your life and in your heart. So there's no joy. Do you feast on the things of darkness? Or have you come out and declared yourself for Jesus? and chosen to let go of everything of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And now you are a radically saved Christian who has a testimony that God provides for you, that you walk in obedience to his commands. You wake up in the morning and you have a clean, clear conscience and you praise his name. You worship him first thought coming in your in your mind as you're slowly coming to consciousness lord thank you that's another wonderful day for me to serve you or do you wake up i got to have that cup of coffee i've got to get to work i've got to go 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 then you're dead The cry of my heart is that you would be alive. That you would be filled with Jesus. That you would know him as your personal savior. That you would walk in accord with him. That nothing flowing through the channel of your life would be of bitterness, anger, wicked pleasure. That nothing flowing through your life would be of resentment and grumbling that nothing flowing through your life would be of the muck and mire of a muddy stream, that instead what flows through your life would be the crystal clear, refreshing water of the Holy Spirit as he has come upon you and now flows out of your heart. I opened this broadcast saying, we're in trouble. We're in trouble because we have been satisfied with a low life in Jesus that is no life at all. And we must come up higher. We must come up higher and repent of our sin and recognize the wrath of God is upon every man and every woman who pretends to be a follower of Jesus, but is in fact following their own wisdom and their own strength and their own power and their own ambition. We need a whole congregation of men and women who will separate themselves from the world and the flesh and the devil and come and honestly follow Jesus Christ and lay their life down, lay their money down, lay their family down, lay their own life down. And serve Jesus. He says. Verse 57. This is John 
just as the living Father sent me. I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. That's as plain as he can put it. He did nothing without direction from his Father. He did not push himself out to do something in the world, to be great in the world. He did not push himself out with human ambition. Instead, he got his direction straight from God, from the Father. And because because of the Father, he could live. So the ones who feed on me will live because of me. Now we're getting right down to the crunch point. How can I live? How can I live if I don't go out and make my own way? Everything I've been taught through my life is, look, go do what you need to do. Go do what you want to do. Use the gifts you have and accomplish great things. And then be a Christian. And ask God to bless your talent and your gifts. And ask God to bless what you want to do. Start a company. Start this. Go work at this place. Go work at that place. Because you can't survive on Jesus. I want to bear witness today that you can survive only with Jesus. That you may survive temporarily, but in the end you will come under the wrath of God. So if you took that job out of your own arrogance and your own need, stay there and begin to pray and wait on Jesus for what he wants you to do next. Confess that you struck out on your own and created that business that is not God's business. It's your business. Don't ask God to bless your business. Ask God to show you what he wants you to do next. And wait for God to deliver you from that place. One man said to me, Okay, pastor, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to pray all day. I'm going to wait before God until he tells me what to do. Great, you'll starve to death. (laughs) You'll starve to death. You'll be evicted from your house. You won't be able to pay your bills. Why? Because it takes some time to transition from my own flesh desires and my own creations. It takes time. You've got to wait before God. You've got to wait before God. Humble your heart. Pray. Don't start anything. Don't go after some ministry. Don't do anything. Wait on God, and he will instruct you, and he will tell you what he wants you to do. But the first thing he wants you to do is humble your heart before him. Confess your sin. Repent of it. And now wait upon him for direction. And he will come. And he will speak to you. Begin to pray that every delusion of Satan, every hidden influence of the devil in your life would be totally exposed. That 
that you would see those things and know how to turn to Jesus and say, those are not for me. I want the Lord. He said in John 6, 55, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. He means it's real. I testify it is real. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. How do you eat the flesh and drink the blood? You spend the time in the prayer closet. You spend it in scripture. You spend it crying out in your heart as you go about the work that you created. You eat the flesh of Christ when you obey his word and you turn aside from your own ambition and your own wickedness and you begin to obey his word. When you turn to Jesus, everything begins to change. He said, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate the manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, <clears throat> pardon me, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. In other words, your opinions don't count. My opinions don't count. My ambitions don't count. My desires, my goals, they don't count. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you no one can come to me unless the Father enables him. And from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Well, we're almost out of time for this broadcast today. I want to pray with you. I want you to make a decision. Lord Jesus, I pray for each who's listening to this broadcast, and I ask that there would be a clear, unequivocal answer in the heart of every man and woman that says, I will eat the flesh of the Son of God and I will drink his blood 
and he is enough for me. I don't need the things of the flesh. I don't need the things of the world. I need you, Jesus. Lord, would you bless every person who's heard this broadcast and cast aside their own opinions, their own ideas, and they're choosing to submit their spirit to you and give up all that they have to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for being a part of this today. Would you share it with a friend? It's on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, put in Pastor Ray Greenley, and it will come up. It'll be up. It takes him a little time to put it up. Or you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can donate online to help keep this broadcast on the air. Or you can write to me, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to come and worship with us. We're a house church, a small group of men and women who are very serious about Jesus. You're welcome to come. If you'd like to be a part, call me and I'll give you directions. The phone number is 703-489-1785. If I don't answer, please leave a message. I'll come back to you and give you directions. 703-489-1785. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.